13 years, if you count 2013 this summer, that uh, my wife and I came for the first time. And I remember the auditorium being that one stretch that we just had the tea break in and uh, then watched over the years as it grew to the auditorium upstairs and then now over to here. And uh, it's a joy to be back. It really is. I think I've mentioned before, I'm somewhere around spending a year of my evangelistic ministry in Ireland. And uh, that's a thrill. It really is. I've just begun my 22nd year in full-time evangelism and uh, 27th year in full-time ministry, uh, but a year of that has been right over here. And uh, yes, as I've told you before, once in a while, somebody will ask me if I'm Irish. I know I don't look like it, and I know it doesn't sound to you like it, but somehow, somewhere, something squeaks through. This year, it was kind of funny. Somebody asked me if I was from Scotland. (laughs) But uh, at any rate, uh, it's good to be here. I trust the Lord will uh, continue to breathe on us. I've been blessed already. Uh, That was very rich and helpful, what we just heard. And, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's wonderful when the Lord speaks to your heart. And I know he's speaking to mine, and so we'll continue on by looking at Philippians chapter 2 today in the Word of God, Philippians chapter 2. Hello from Mary Lynn and John Jr. They're doing fine. John Jr. is now 10. And uh, I was telling him, I said, John, uh, you want to go back uh, to Ireland sometime with Daddy? And he's all for it, so <laughs> we'll have to work that out. All right, Philippians chapter 2, and uh, let's begin to read in verse 1 at a glorious passage. It says, If there be, if there be, therefore, any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, fulfill ye my joy, that ye be like-minded. Now, notice the word mind here. Like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. There's that word again. Let nothing be done through strife or vain glory, but in lowliness of mind. Let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind. You see an emphasis here. This is the fourth time we see this word mind. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men, and being found in fashion as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father, Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God which worketh in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Now, I want us to refocus on verse 5 
We have a command here. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And then, notice in verse 8 it says, He humbled himself. And that mind of Christ is to be in us. So the title of the message this morning is, The Mind of Humility. Let's pray. Blessed Holy Spirit, we thank you for what you're teaching us, for speaking to our hearts, for already, uh, Lord, uh, showing us ourselves. And Lord, I pray that you would give us understanding to the truth that's before us, us in this passage here. Lord, it might connect with what you're already teaching us. And Lord, that we would be able, by your power, to experience this mind of humility. Oh, Lord, would you do the supernatural work that obviously desperately needs to be done. I do plead the blood of Jesus. Lord, would you protect us from the attack of the enemy and all of the deception that appeals to our pride. And Lord, would you destroy that deception? Would you reveal it? Would you expose it? Knock it out. Strongholds of wrong thinking. Lord, may they be crumbled. And Lord Jesus, we do claim our position in you at the throne far above the enemy and holding up your blood and your name. Lord, would you manifest your victory over the enemy now? And Lord, would you speak to us? And Lord, may this become very real in our lives. And Lord, make it count. Make it practical. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. In 1987, I was the candidate at an ordination council. And so... Uh, my father had invited a number of the preachers of Chicago to come and examine me as the candidate for ordination. <laughs> I remember it well. I remember their faces. And I can remember certain parts of that discussion. And the way this works is you have to write a doctrinal statement. And, uh, and then you give your testimony and, and then uh, you start going through the doctrinal statement. And they begin to ask you questions to examine whether or not you're sound in the faith, <laughs> and all of these things, and I remember various questions that were asked me that day, and since that time, I've had the privilege of sitting on several ordination councils where someone else was the candidate, and that doesn't happen very often for me as an evangelist, but several times it has worked out, and I have uh, been one of the ones asking the questions. Now, inevitably, at an ordination council, one of the questions that's one of those standard questions uh, that just gets asked at nearly every ordination council, somebody will raise their hand and look at the candidate and say, would you explain the biblical concept of kenosis? And the candidate who has been trained will answer, oh yes, kenosis means emptied himself. And the discussion goes on to something else. <laughs> Now, what is often not asked is, what does emptied himself mean? <laughs> Usually the candidate will get that answer out there, but nobody follows it up and asks the question, well, what does it mean, 
emptied himself. Now, the answer to that question is vital because we, in this passage in verse 5, are commanded, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And then it begins to describe that. And in verse 7, when it says, but made himself of no reputation, that is coming from that Greek word kenosis. And whatever that is... We are commanded in verse 5, we're to be like that. We're to let that mind that demonstrates this concept of kenosis, we're to let that be in us. So what is it? (laughs) What was Christ's mind that we're commanded to let be in us? What was his paradigm that caused him to empty himself and what does that mean and what does that mean to us and what does it mean in verse 8 when it says he humbled himself for us we know that part of humility is getting honest about our sin but he had no sin (laughs) so what does it mean when it says that Jesus humbled himself and somehow that mind of humility we're to allow to be in us You see, as we look at this passage this morning, I want us to just consider this thought. Since Jesus exemplifies the mind of humility, we must take the mind of Christ in order to live the life of Christ. Now, what is this mind of humility? What is this mind of Christ that we are to take? So as we look at the passage, let's focus first of all on Christ's mind of of humility. We'll spend the majority of our time on, on that, his mind of humility, but then we'll take some time toward the end of the message to apply his mind to us. But let's start with, first of all, Christ's mind of humility. Let's just summarize it into one phrase. It was not I, but the Father. When you look at the words of Jesus, which are given to us predominantly in the Gospel of John, he says this, not I, but the Father. We could add the phrase, through the Holy Spirit. Now this is uh, explained for us in verses 6, 7, and 8, right here in Philippians chapter 2. And when we think of the phrase, not I, but the Father, obviously there's two emphases. So let's begin by looking at the first emphasis, that's the not I. And then, of course, we'll look at the second emphasis, the but the Father. But on the first emphasis, not I, there's two criteria. First of all, it was not my will. Jesus says in John 5, verse 30, I seek not mine own will, but the will of the Father. So clearly, it's not my will, but the Father's. That's John 5.30. In John 6.38, Jesus says, I came not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. So again, it's not my will, but the Father's. In John 7, verse 16, my doctrine, or the word teaching, is not mine, but his that sent me. John 7, 28, John 8, 42, John 8, 50, John 17, 8. All of these verses are demonstrations that Jesus was clearly articulating uh, his paradigm, his mind of humility. It involved this first emphasis of not I, but in the not I, the first criteria is not my will, but the fathers that's fascinating but it gets more fascinating when you get to the second criteria of the not I not only was it not my will 
Jesus makes it clear for him, it was not my power, not his power, but the father's. This is stunning. In John chapter 5, verse 19, Jesus says the son, S-O-N, can do nothing of himself. Now the word can is the word able. So Jesus is saying the son is not able to do anything from himself. That's shocking. It's one thing for him not to do anything of himself. It's another thing for him to say, I am not able. And that is exactly what he says. I, uh, the son, is not able. Uh, the son can do nothing of himself. That's John 5.19. In John 5.30, he says, I can, there's that word again, of or from mine own self do nothing. Now, he's not talking about physical ability. Obviously, he got up and he ate and so forth and so on. He's talking there about that which counts for eternity. And he says in his humanity, I am not able of mine own self to do anything. (laughs) I find that shocking. Then he moves in John 8 verse 28 and says it this way, I do nothing of or from myself but as my Father. John 12, 49. For I have not spoken of or out of myself, but the Father. John 14, verse 10. I speak not of or from myself, but the Father doeth the works. So clearly, the first emphasis in the paradigm or the mind of humility of Christ is not I, and that meant not my will, but the Father's, not even my power, not my ability, but the Father's. Now, before we go to the second emphasis of his paradigm, let's stop and consider, how could Jesus come to the place of not I and it not be lying? How could he actually come to that place? This is the heart of kenosis. (laughs) This is the heart of that concept, he emptied himself. There's two really uh, major aspects to it. First of all, Jesus set aside the reputation and the exercise of deity, of sovereignty. Look at verses 6 and 7. Who, referring to Jesus Christ, being in the form of God... That is, he was God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. Again, emphasizing he is deity, he is God. But verse 7 says, but made himself of no reputation. He emptied himself, he made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. Clearly, Jesus set something aside. That's another way to say he emptied himself. What did he set aside? He set aside his reputation of deity. Do you know outside of a few shepherds and a few selected people, when Jesus came in the incarnation, we just celebrated Christmas, nobody knew he was God out there in the manger. 
except where God directly revealed that to certain ones, no one else knew. Obviously, he set aside the reputation of deity. He's not even born in the hospital. (laughs) And he's out in in, uh, the rough-hewn manger, the the, the trough that feeds the cows or uh, the sheep, and that's where he is. He obviously did not come in the first coming in great power and glory like he will come in the second coming. He set aside all that. He set aside the reputation of deity, and he also set aside the exercise of deity. In other words, he set aside the use of the attributes of deity. Now listen carefully. He did not set aside deity. He's still God. But he set aside the use of deity, if I can put it that way. He set aside the use of the attributes of deity or the exercise of sovereignty. He set all of that aside. He emptied himself. That's kenosis. And he had to do that to truly become a man. If he had not done that, he really would not have become man. And though he did not set aside deity, he set aside the use of it. There it is. In order to truly become man. But a second part of this, as man, Jesus also set aside the will and the power of humanity. That is, he set aside the will and power of the sovereignty of self. Look at verse 8. And, okay, here's something else. Being found in fashion as a man, okay, so as a man now, he humbled himself and became obedient. And when it says obedient unto death, the idea is obedient in everything all the way unto death, even the death of the cross. So, as God, he set aside the reputation of God and the use of the attributes of deity. But as man, he set aside the will of man. He set aside the power of man. He set aside the sovereignty of self in exchange for the will and the power of deity. And friends, this is why he can say, not I. Because he had set aside all of the benefits of deity, but then as a man, he set aside his own will. He set aside his own ability so that it really is not I. So that he could actually then embrace the will and power of the Father. And that brings us to the second emphasis, but the Father. Not I, but the Father, and of course through the Spirit. And so we see the perfect parallel If it's not his will, then it's the Father's will. Again, John 5.30, I seek not mine own will, but the will of the Father. John 6.38, I came not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. So there's the Father's will, and then obviously then the Father's power. John 8.28, I do nothing of or from myself, but my Father. John 14.10, I speak not of or from myself, but the Father doeth the works. So again... It's very clear, it's not my will, but the Father's will, not my power, not my ability, but the Father's power, it's His ability, and all of that was through the Holy Spirit. I was reading uh, a few weeks ago in uh, Timothy, 
in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. And uh, as I was studying this message, this verse just really came alive to me. Uh, 1 Timothy 3, 16 says, God was manifest in the flesh. In other words, he came uh, in uh, the incarnation. Justified. That's an interesting word to be used of Jesus. Justified in the spirit. And uh, the definite article is absent. Justified in the power of the spirit. Now, wait a second. The textbooks often say that justified means declared righteous. What happens when a sinner gets saved? Jesus was not a sinner. So what does it mean when it says he was justified in the power of the Spirit? It's interesting that the verb voice is passive. The idea is this. He allowed himself to be righteous by the power of the Holy Spirit. It all comes right back to, I'm not doing what I'm doing on my own power, but the Father's through the Spirit. And so there it is. He allowed himself to be righteous. Not by his power. But through the power of the Holy Spirit. And when you look at his life from conception all the way through, when he was on earth, you see it connected to the power of the Holy Spirit. He was indwelt by the Holy Spirit at conception. In Luke chapter 1, right there in the Christmas account, in verse 35, uh, when, angel, uh, when the uh, angel Gabriel appears to Mary and tells her that she's uh, with child, and, or that she's going to be, and she says, well, how is this going to work, seeing I know not a man? And, and so the angel explains that the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. So that, according to Matthew 1.20, that which will be conceived will be conceived of the Holy Spirit. Indicating that just as we are indwelt by the Spirit at the moment of salvation, Jesus was indwelt by the Spirit at the moment of conception. But not only was he indwelt by the Spirit, he was filled with the Spirit. In Luke 2. Right in the Christmas story, as you read a little bit past what we often read during the Christmas season, it tells us in Luke 2, verse 40, that Jesus as a boy, now we got some children in here, young people in here, I'm thrilled you're here. This is speaking of Jesus when he is a child, and it says he was filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him, and the word grace is spirit enablement. He's Filled with the Spirit in his youth. And then at age 30, when he now enters public ministry, it goes a step beyond. Not only is he indwelled at conception, not only is he filled with the Spirit those first 30 years, so that he grew in favor with God and man, Luke 2.52, he was empowered for ministry by the Spirit, Right at the beginning of his ministry in Luke chapter 3. You remember he went to John the Baptist. Asked John the Baptist to baptize him. And to fulfill all righteousness. And so uh, it says that John the Baptist did. And that when Jesus was coming out of the water. He was praying. Now it doesn't tell us what his prayer was. It does tell us that he prayed. I believe the next verse implies what his prayer was because it's the answer to that prayer because as he comes out of the water and was praying, it says that the Holy Spirit descended, here's the answer to his prayer, in bodily shape like a dove upon him. In other words, Jesus is now entering his public ministry and he, he wants more. He knows that 
He has set aside the power of deity and he knows that as a man he can't do eternal ministry, effective ministry, uh, just in the power of humanity. So he sets that aside and now he's praying and God answers his prayer not just to fill him for victory, he had that for 30 years, but to empower him for effective ministry and the Spirit of God descends upon him like a dove. What a beautiful picture. The very next event in his life is Luke chapter 4, verse 1. We call it the temptation of Christ. And it tells us that he was filled with the Spirit. And the Spirit led him into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan. And, of course, he was victorious. And that victory is directly tied to the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And then it says in Luke 4, 14 and 15 that he returned in the power of the Spirit. So here's some direct words. In the power, the dunamis, the ability of the Holy Spirit... And he taught. So now we have not only his victory over the enemy, his victory over sin, now we have his ministry directly linked to the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And he goes into the synagogue. He's handed the book of Isaiah. He turns to verse chapter 61, and he begins to read, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because the Lord has anointed me to preach. And it goes on. And he says, this day, this is fulfilled. And so his preaching, his ministry is directly linked to the Spirit of God coming upon him. And this is what we three see throughout his ministry, all the way to his crucifixion. In Hebrews 9, 24, it says, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without spot to God. The work on the cross was not in his ability. It was the ability of the Father through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Now, let's review. His mind, his paradigm of humility is not I, but the Father. And we've seen that the not I part of that is... Not my will, not my power, not my ability. In other words, another way to say that is he denied self-will and self-power. In his humanity, he denied self-will and self-power. He set aside the will and power of self, but then he went on to, but the Father. He depended on the Father through the Spirit. That is, he submitted to the will of the Spirit, or the will of the Father through the Spirit, and the power of the Father Through the Spirit. Now here's the big point. In the incarnation, in the idea of Jesus coming into our world, coming into humanity, coming and taking on a human uh, body. In that incarnation, because of willingly taking on the limitations of humanity through kenosis. In other words, because he set aside the reputation of deity and he set aside the exercise and the, at, the, the use of the attributes of deity because he set all that aside, then obviously he had taken on the limitations of humanity. And because he had taken on those limitations, Jesus did what he did on earth, not as God. But as man, in dependence totally on the Father through the Spirit. You know when the Bible says that he was tempted in all points like we are yet without sin? You know what most people say? Well, yeah, that's because he was God. 
You've missed it. He was tempted in all points as we are. That couldn't be true unless he had set aside the exercise of Godhead. And now he's got the limitations of humanity. And thus he was tempted in all points like as we are. In fact, the, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life parallel the three temptations that are given to us in the temptation of Christ. He was tempted in all points like as we are, yet without sin. Why? Because he learned to set aside the will of man and set aside the power of man and depend on the will of God and depend on the power of God. That's how he did it. He learned to trust and obey. And uh, uh, you see that here. His obedience all the way unto death. There it is. He humbled himself. He set aside the will and power of self. Because he depended on the will and power of God. And that's how he was victorious. Now, if the Lord Jesus in his humanity. In his kenosis. In his emptying himself of the reputation of God and the use of Godhead, as it were, and thus as a man is going to have to do God-sized work with having set aside God-sized power, this isn't going to work, and so he sets aside the will of man, he sets aside the power of man, so that he depends on the will of God and depends on the power of God. If that's what he had to do, just because of taking on a human body, then friends, I'm going to tell you, how much more do we absolutely need to set aside our will and our ability because we embrace his will and his ability? Now, we'll come to the blessing of that in a moment. In verse 9 it says, Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him. And that is a glorious section of this passage. But now let's go to the application to us. We've seen his mind, the mind of Christ, the mind of humility of Christ. Not I but the Father. So let's talk about the believer's mind of humility. If Jesus said, Not I but the Father. If Jesus said, I am in the Father and the Father is in me. And now we're commanded... Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. All right. If he was not I but the Father, then for us it's not I but but Christ. That's the paradigm. (laughs) That's the mind of humility. We must do the same. This is verse 5. Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. It is also verses 12 and 13. The end of verse 12 says work out your own salvation in fear and trembling. Well how do you do that? For it is God that worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. So let's look at it. The not I part of it is not my will not my power. In other words Just like Jesus, we have to deny self. We have to set aside the sovereignty of self. Now, in all that Pastor Hirth was dealing with in the practical inner workings of life, especially in family relationships, this is the biggie. Self gets in the way, and thus we don't see ourselves as others see us. I think that's great when he points out that people around us do know our faults, even if we don't. And so uh, uh, the point is there, self has gotten into the way. All right, so the deal is there must be a setting aside of self if there's ever going to be victory. 
a setting aside of the will of man and the power of man. Now, when we use our own will and our own power, it can have two major manifestations. One can be just irreligion, unrighteousness, indulging ourselves in the works of the flesh. The other side is counterfeit religion, self-righteousness, where we depend on the work of the flesh, the strength of the flesh. All of that is flesh. Whether it's irreligion and just going our own way, doing our own thing, indulging our flesh, and the works of the flesh are manifest, or whether it's the counterfeit religion of going through the right forms, producing the right outward action,